Hello, and welcome to the Monthly Comics Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, we'll be talking about some of the comics we got this month. We'll start with DC, we'll go over to Marvel, and then we'll cover the other publishers. As always, we'll keep major spoilers to a minimum, but we'll cover general plot points and storylines of the comics we discuss. In this back issue spotlight, I am joined by James, and we're going to be finishing our discussion of Stanley's Just Imagine. We're going to talk about Aquaman, Catwoman, Sandman, and Crisis. James, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you doing, John? I am doing well. Now, we've been reading these in pretty rapid succession. We've only been doing this a couple of weeks now, whereas these came out one a month or whatever originally. And we're in the home stretch now. We've got Aquaman, which I would say is the last of kind of the iconic characters, because Catwoman and Sandman, we've talked about this before. Interesting choices. I kind of get it with Catwoman, not so much with Sandman, but and then we build up to the big climatic conclusion with Crisis. Yeah. And they went a different way with that than I was expecting, because I, I have so little memory of these from when I read them, what, 20 years ago. Yeah, I'm surprised you remember them at all. <laughs> I didn't read them originally, so uh, I have no recollection other than the current reading. It was funny, because when I was looking at the cover for the Crisis issue, they've got all ten of the characters on the cover with just basically the faces. Yeah. And I'm sitting there counting, thinking, wait, we've had twelve issues plus a thirteenth for the Secret Files. Ten characters. Who am I missing? Who am I missing? And then, of course, I was forgetting that, well, the twelfth issue was Crisis, and one of the issues was JLA. I'm not missing anybody. Yeah. But I just, it, keeping track of the characters was, was challenging. Yeah, and, and I imagine reading these, we, we, we kind of talked about this before we recorded, but if you would have stretched this out over, you know, once a, once a month, one of these issues came out, mm-hmm. you would have read that Batman issue 12 months ago, or whichever one it was, the Superman one, or whichever one was the first one. And you would have a very vague recollection. Oh, yeah, I remember I read this a year ago, but not much more than that. Well, and I think that is part of why they did the the secret files midway through is just kind of a refresher. Yeah, because it's when you spread it out that much, and you're only seeing this character one time, and that's the only introduction you've had. You're not going to really have that you know comfortable feel with them, like I know who it is, and you're trying to remember what was this guy's deal, what was his origin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you need stuff like that when something's stretched out like this with it. It's all brand new. I still think putting the JLA issue and the secret files so close together was a mistake. Yeah. Because both of those kind of act as as memory jogs to a degree. Very true. And I, I don't know which I would have done when, but it feels like as we're getting right before crisis is when some of that's needed. Yeah. No, I I, I know what you're saying there. So, yeah, it, it's, it, it was not, it was an interesting read, this series, going through there. And it was kind of cool because it's, we did it, and I know you planned it this way, right around Stanley's 100th birthday. Well, yeah, because they're doing a one-shot leading up to it. I figured now was a great time to revisit these things. Exactly. I, I'm glad we did because, and I mentioned this in one of the other episodes, if I had just read the, I think it's the Tales from Earth 6 or whatever it's called, if if I had just read that without having refreshed my memory on these characters, I can't imagine that thing being accessible enough for me to get the full enjoyment out of it versus, again, having reread all the stuff. Yeah, some of, some stuff is like that, and, and you have to almost do that, because I, I'm curious how that one shot's going to be, because that's, like you said, 20 years ago, that's a long time to go without ever having seen these characters again anywhere in any DC books. So that's going to be a tough road to hoe, you know, for whoever's writing that. 
Well, and I'd like the listeners to chime in uh, when they get it, if they get it, of have you ever read the original material? And if so, was it recently or was it back when it first came out? How did the one-shot work in, in light of those things? And if you haven't read it at all, how did the one-shot work out? Yeah, I'd like to hear that too. So hopefully they do it on the Slack or if they let you know, just let me know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Slack's a great place to do that. Yeah. Shall we dive into the Aquaman issue? Yeah, let's do that. This was a interesting issue. It was. And, you know, as I've been taking notes on these things, as as I start an issue, the first thing I do is kind of harvest for characters. Kind of, we're starting with a blank slate. Who's in this part of this world that's relevant? And usually it comes down to the hero, maybe a relative, maybe a significant other, and the bad guy. Yeah. And in this case, we got Ramon, who's a smart guy who lives on a boat. Yeah. Amelia, who's Ramon's girlfriend. Frank. Why? Why? We don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, why Ramon lives on a boat? Why he's a smart guy other than he's got degrees? What does he do for a living? There's a lot we don't know. Yeah. You know, we find out a lot about Frank in so much as he's Ramon's older brother who's a cop. Yeah, pretty much that's it. And it, it, it was just kind of an interesting dynamic, especially between him and his girlfriend, mm-hmm. because he almost ignores her and treats her really bad throughout the issues, and but she keeps staying with him. It's bizarre. <laughs> it's definitely a matter of opposites attract. It has to be. I'm like, I, I don't see it there. I'm just like, if I treated my wife that way, she probably would have been, I'm out of here. <laughs> well, if this had gone to series, I think one of the stories would have had to be, how did they meet and why do they stay together? Yeah, exactly. It It's almost like he's not a bad guy. It's not like he's doing bad things to her. But it was just kind of funny. Like, she'll be like, I want to be, you know, kind of romantic and stuff. He's like, oh, look at these fish. Aren't they cool? It's always about the sea. He's he's very self-absorbed and not in an egotistical way, but in an unobservant way. Very much so. Yes. Very unobservant, very unattentive in his own world. (laughs) Almost a Reed Richards type. Very much so. And maybe that's what he was going for here. That, you know, him saying he was smart. We, we don't know how he can afford to have this kind of mini yacht, but yeah, maybe that's what Stan was going for. Well, you know, because I hadn't really thought about it in th- those terms, but now that we're talking about it, you've got kind of the absent-minded professor aspect-ish with, with that. Yep. You've got the experiment he's doing where he injects himself with the DNA from various underwater species, because, I mean, that always ends well. He winds up transforming, kind of, you know, like the Ben Grimm transformed to the thing. Very different thing, because he winds up as Aquaman, an aquatic thing, kind of a water version of the Human Torch. Exactly. See-through water. Yeah. Interesting. So, thematically, even, there's similarities-ish with the, the Invisible Woman in terms of kind of the way he's using the powers at times. Because I think he uses it force field-like-ish, or protective, you know, thing, or whatever it's. The, the water, I mean, this guy is essentially Hydro-Man. Exactly, yeah. Hydro-Man would be, exactly. And there were things in this issue where they happen, and you just kind of got to roll with, with them happening. Because if you're looking for a lot of, of logic, uh, I'm not sure this is the issue for, for finding that. That's really the perfect way to put it, because, yeah, the logic was definitely lacking from this. Because there's just a lot of ridiculous stuff in here. <laughs> You're just like, well, that doesn't make sense. Okay. Well, and stuff that's not explained, but in light of, like, the secret files where they're telling us that, you know, the the Tree of Life or Mother Earth or whatever is, is what's giving all these powers and stuff. So when he's swimming in the green water and stuff, it's like, ah, 
that's what's going to transform him. And sure enough, he becomes an undersea freak. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I also thought it was weird that he's on this nice yacht, and it seems to be in a well-to-do country. And he goes right off the coast, and there's apparently pirates there. You know, to I took it as he was in like a Los Angeles-ish kind of place. Me too. And I'm like, there's not pirates off the coast of Los Angeles. Oh, come on, come on. If if you've ever watched 80s television. <laughs> there's pirates. <laughs> Riptide, Simon and Simon, anything by, by Stephen J. Cannell, I think. They, they, there are pirates. Yeah, that's where it's like almost the cheesy factor. You're like, so you don't think too hard when you're re- re- reading this. You just kind of, oh, this is the action bit. Cool. And this is where I miss Stephen J. Cannell, because it was cheesy, but it had some internal logic to it. Yeah. This, uh, not so much. Yeah, not very much. <laughs> you know, they they go off sailing uh, Ramon and his girlfriend. They get attacked by the pirates because they're hijacking yachts because I guess they can. He calls the Coast Guard who show up really fast. Yeah, kind of amazing. <laughs> and, you know, we get the, the scene as we've gotten in many of the issues of let's go test the power. So, of course, he goes to the aquarium because why not? It's like, okay, I guess that's as good a place as any. And he's getting harassed and stuff by these guys and i thought the coast guard had taken him to jail but when he's trying to reveal his powers to his brother frank they're like following him and shoot at him and of course he turns into water goes straight through him but frank gets shot in the leg so there goes his promising police career shot in the leg this happens it's true it's gone he's gone it was i was just like what is going on here like yeah he basically almost becomes like a a paraplegic from getting shot in the leg. Well, it's funny because he he seems to heal reasonably well. Yeah, afterwards, yeah. It's not like he's going to go and run a marathon or something, I think, but he's walking around okay. Just needs a little time to recover. Yeah, just a little brace and everything. And we do get a scene of Reverend Dark in there, which was mm-hmm. the recurring theme. Well, that's that's we're at a few weeks later. Frank's having time to heal. He's been walking around. He's tired. So where does he take a break? But the local Church of Eternal Empowerment, or the Church of Eternal Empowerment, I don't know if it has a second location. That's where I'd head. (laughs) It's a church. She doesn't know any better. Morgana, we see her again. Both she and and Dominic Dark sense Frank is is a non-believer, and that somehow it's tied to a threat against Dark, which would be Ramon, Aquaman, or whatever. And it's like, okay. And then, so, uh, they, they send thugs after Ramon, because, of course, this church has endless amount of thugs, even though they really have been going through quite a few in this, this, this run of titles. Exactly. And, you know, it doesn't go well for them when they go after Frank, because, of course, uh, Ramon shows up. But was it just me, or did the end just, like, suddenly show up and it's like, oh, we've got two half-page epilogues and we're done? Yeah, it was just like, boom, 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 we're done. It, it really did wrap up rather quickly, I would say. It had the same page count as the other books, but this one felt a little more... Rushed at the end. I was going to say, certainly at the end. Yeah. And there were a few others that were a little zigzaggy or whatever, and this this was going through a straight-line trajectory, but the pacing felt weird. Yeah, I would agree with that. It did feel a little bit off, and I I, I don't know why, but this was definitely not one of the better works that he did. Yeah. I would say that the backup, the little backup story that they put in here, it kind of... Tied into the main story, which was cool, I guess. It did, but I couldn't tell when. That's what I couldn't figure out either. I mean, it, it definitely did, but when did this happen? Because you see the crutches, so you know it's after he had been shot. It's clearly after the, the, the lead story, but it couldn't have been much more time after. Exactly. And it seems like it has to have been done before Crisis, probably. You would think so, yeah. 
because it's all about Frank not being happy with his captain because he's been assigned desk duty because, well, he was injured. He was shot. Seems like a standard thing to do, but okay. <laughs> so he gets this crazy idea to go to Paris to observe how disabled officers over there are treated because apparently it's so much better. Even more surprising, the captain's like, hey, yeah, let's do that. He gets on a flight and he's surrounded by thugs from the church. And on the plane, he fights them with his crutch. And the other passengers is like, well, if, if this guy can do it, we're not going to put up with this either. This plane was the most spacious aircraft I have ever seen for the fight scene to, to have worked. Yeah, because there was about 20 people there. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Even the, at the end of the fight, when they had him tied up and everyone's just standing around, I'm like, what? How did they do this? <laughs> I'm just wondering if the artist for the backup feature had spent any time on a plane. Yeah, it didn't feel like it. it, it the art style on that one seemed really kind of, I don't know, retro art. That's the best way it is, could describe it. I guess retro is not a bad term. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know how to describe it. It, it seems like something I would have seen back in the maybe a 60s type comic or 70s. Who knows? Maybe 50s. It feels slightly cartoonish. Yeah. It, it it feels like a action adventure, a Sunday morning cartoon strip. Yeah, even the guns the guys pull out, it looks like Buck Rogers guns or something. Like, what is this? You know? Yeah, the ray <laughs> guns confused yeah. me. I wanted to see them go off and see what they did. Yeah, they were bizarre. <laughs> yeah, and then of course he gets greeted by the French police chief. He's going to go see, and he's like, "Study us. We want to study you." Okay. <laughs> exactly. I did find it hilarious that on the, the drive into the city, they were talking about how, you know, hey, these guys should get handed over to the JLA, and the French police guy is like, Justice League of America? It's like, I think not. Yeah, that was funny. And it, it seemed to imply that Aquaman was a member of the JLA at this point. I'm like, when? How? I, th that part just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, yeah. But it was one of the, the backups that was most tied into the lead, I think. There have been a few others that were that way. Yeah, a lot of them were just kind of like, well, why is this here? But th th yeah, this one kind of tied into it. It filled in a gap that we didn't know about somewhere. Who knows? And the time continuum. <laughs> I'm kind of wondering if the quality of the, or not the quality, but the connectedness of the backup, if that was dependent on how much lead time Michael Lucillon, who wrote those, had of getting the script for the lead story before having to turn in the script for the backup. That could make sense. That could explain maybe why it seems so different between the backups. Or how some of them had no connection to the lead story, because he may have had no idea what the lead story was going to do. Exactly. If they were doing the lead story before that final script was turned in, they're just doing a story, eight pages. Let's tell a whatever, you know, about yeah. this character. Let's do yeah. fly-by-night comics. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah. So that's a theory. I don't know. I, I would believe it if you told me. Yeah. I just I just did believe it. <laughs> well, and I did just tell you, so. See. Yeah. <laughs> Should we move over to Catwoman? Yeah, let's go do that. I did not really care for the art in this one. Yeah. I know I know what you mean. The Catwoman art was man, I wouldn't know how to describe it, but not good. It's Chris Bacalo and it it's not bad, but it is very stylized. Yeah, and I would say Chris Bacalo has gotten better because this is Chris Bacalo. 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's become a better artist than this, but he's, yeah, this was definitely rough. Well, there are places where it's dark. There are places where the art kind of got between me and the story. Yeah. 
And I also didn't really care for kind of the, the bad guy here of Flesh Crawler. Yeah, Flesh Crawler. <laughs> yeah, the, even the name, it's like, what the heck? The name, the spacesuit look. Flesh. Yeah. Okay. We got this astronaut walk, walking around the entire story. It's really weird. Yeah. Well, and if you go to the first page of this issue, we got some some thugs of, of Flesh Crawlers. They're on an alley. They walk down the alley, apparently slide down a pole maybe walk back to the left down this sewer or something to and i guess an elevator that goes down and then back to the right to the underground layer of flesh crawler or whatever and it's it's very much a a almost will eisner-esque kind of a page yeah where it's it's implied to be different panels but technically it's kind of not so very artsy and very well done but very artsy very artsy yeah and I see what you're saying there about the the style. It's it's definitely in in that vein. It, 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 that was probably one of the better panels or, or pages in the book, honestly. Yeah, I, I think so. Because there were a couple others. It's like I'm not sure what you're going for here, and it's it's not working for me. Yeah. It, it, immediately when we flip the page and we get to almost like everything's white, washed out white, mm-hmm. and you got the guy in the spacesuit. I'm like, this is just bizarre. You know, I felt like I'm like what. What does this have to do with Catwoman at this point? <laughs> this is bizarre. You know, I haven't been paying attention to who's doing the colors on all of these issues. Me neither. This one's Alex Sinclair, and I don't know who was doing the others, but this one felt a little more monochromatic in places. It did. Th- these first few pages, it was, it, it almost, it, it went with the story. Of course, it's part of the story, but it felt like the pages were just completely different than the rest of the book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just weird. Well, and in this case, so we've checked off the villain of the thing. So mm-hmm. our, our our lead character is Joni Jordan, who is Inspector Jordan's daughter and a model. Yeah. Okay. So we got our, our lead character and their family member, and she's going to pose at the Fifth Federal Bank to show that models bank there. The logic of all of that, it's like, are they having an event? Is it a photo op? What exactly is this? <laughs> Obviously, I'm getting bogged down in the minutiae. Yeah. But apparently that's the inn that Flush Crawler's thugs are going to use to get access to the bank. Yep. So let's go after the model. Okay. Makes as much sense as anything else. That's pretty much where I was. It's like, all right. <laughs> she is is trying to fight them off in her, I guess, penthouse apartment or whatever, or condo, and she gets struck by green lightning. Yeah. The green lightning hits. Zap. And I and- couldn't tell if it also hit her cat or not. Maybe? That's what I was wondering, too. I thought if the cat was – I was wondering if the cat was going to have powers or something like that because the cat's glowing, the outline of it, in one of those panels, you know? Yeah, well, and the eyes glow at one point, and the cat's following her around. So the cat's not just a regular cat. It, to me, that cat had the same sort of thing as, like, the Robins over in Robin. Yeah, and, and she definitely picked up some cat DNA with that lightning. Oh, absolutely, because she has cat powers of seeing in the dark – claws she's stronger she's faster her claws are kind of obscene though they're 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 so long they they're like i've never seen a cat like this (laughs) all right yeah they're like a a foot and a half two feet long in places it's 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 ridiculous it's insane because like when i'm thinking of cat claws it's like the modern day cat woman that you see you know those little little tiny claws i'm like that makes sense but no she's got these big two foot Wolverine swords. This is almost image level claws from Ripclaw or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I saw those. I'm like, what the heck? These are going to be more of a hindrance than a help. Yeah. 
But as we'll find out later on, they can apparently tear through metal, too. Well, they're they're magic claws, so... Yes, they are. (laughs) When we get a little bit of her at whatever she works at, I, I, again, never was quite sure. Yeah. The guy in charge of that, Drake, who never seems to get a full name other than just Mr. Drake... Yep. He kind of reminded me of J. Jonah Jameson in some ways. Yeah, I could see that. Now that you say it, yeah. He does seem kind of like J. Jonah Jameson. Very much a, how is this going to benefit my business? That kind of mindset. Not a bad person necessarily, but not a good person either. Not the type you want to be around. And always screaming, yelling. Yes, always yelling at people. Always, yeah, yeah. He's in charge and won't let you forget it. Yep. We get the scene where she wants to go tell her dad she's got powers and such. But before she can, Dad says, well, first off, retired police officer. He's a police officer here. He was an inspector before. At the end, I think he's retired. So I was a little unclear exactly what he did other than work on this car. <laughs> but he's not a fan of superheroes. Definitely not a fan, which was kind of interesting. <laughs> so clearly not mentioning the powers seems like the right move. Yeah. Uh, it's a little cliche almost, but, you know, it works. It's fine. And then we've got the, oh, I've got to keep my identity secret, so we've got to have the costume. Yep, make the costume, but she doesn't hide her face with the costume. She wears a wig, though. She does wear a wig, so she goes from blonde to dark hair. But yeah, as far as costumes go, you'd think you'd want to cover the face, but okay. If the idea is to protect the identity, yeah, you'd think so. But but this works, I'm cool with it. (laughs) A nice full-page splash of it, again, crazy long claws. Yeah. This seemed like... Uh, a classic kind of Catwoman look. Yeah, it did. Also pretty much like Black Widow's costume. That too. Yep, I got that vibe. So, a uh, black bodysuit with a belt, basically. Wow. And, and the cat ears, of course. Gotta have that. Yeah. Um, not bad, but, you know, not inspired and not a radically different take on the concept of Catwoman. Because, again, this is Black Cat, very much a what you would expect a Catwoman to be, almost. Yeah, this one, I would say, is probably the closest to what we have with the Catwoman, other than the claws, whereas Aquaman was something completely different. You know, just a a water being. Well, it was more of a Hydro-Man than an Aquaman. Exactly, Hydro-Man. So it fit the theme, but in a very different way than the classic Aquaman. This one, not really all that different. No, even the belt, everything, you're like, okay, yeah. It's just a different look, a new artist on Catwoman. Yeah, yeah. Like the little logo kind of a thing of, of when she's, you know, announcing her name to herself. Yeah. But, you know, the the next page where she's out testing her powers, you know, doing the parkour or whatever, the panel borders were distracting. Yeah, almost that. I don't know what they were trying to do with that. It, it was just weird. I think it was possibly originally done without it, with the multiple images on the panel, and you're supposed to be able to kind of follow her down the left side, across the bottom, and up the right side. That's what I was thinking. Why are those jagged shapes in there? They may have thought it was too confusing without them. Yes, yeah. I mean, they could have done some like little motion lines to kind of draw your eye this way and that way, but to, to me, they were distracting. They were really distracting. Yeah, no, totally. I think you're right. If they'd done some, some subtle motion lines between the, 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 the images of her, that would have flowed a lot better. Than look better. the jagged lines that, that seem like they ought to be making some kind of a symbol or something and aren't. Yeah, I agree. I almost felt like it des- it destroyed the page. <laughs> what they did there, I was like, oh, that's rough. But well, I mean, it, it makes it look like broken glass or something. You're like, what? what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, kind of, but not quite. And at one point, she's jumping over one of the panel borders. Yep. I don't know. That page 
stood out as me as a, a swing and a miss. Yeah, I would agree. It, they went for something artistic that I felt like they could have done it much better just with like either some shadow images or some motion lines, something like that. It could have been really cool. Yeah, the page itself isn't the problem. It's the panel borders that break it. Yep, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And what's funny is I, I just went down, I went to the next page and there's some motion lines on her sliding on the building. Something like that would have worked. Exactly. If they had done that on the previous page, that could have yep. done it. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not a bad issue. It's not bad character, but it seems like we've got to have the, okay, she's got to go rescue somebody, and then we've got to get back to the main story. So, uh, flesh crawler's got to go send more people after her, because that's apparently the only way they can get access to the bank. Which doesn't make any sense, but okay. <laughs> It makes none whatsoever, and she's like, oh, well, I don't want to give away my secret identity. It's like, to who? Hardly anyone knows Catwoman even exists. And, and we'll get back to the secret identity thing when we get to the bank later. Don't let me forget. Yeah. And she gets taken to F- Flesh Crawler, and this is where logic totally goes out the window. He instantly, like, falls in love with her. Yeah, that was really weird. I mean, she's a beautiful model. I would say, okay, but, like, it was weird at the same time. <laughs> It just came out of nowhere. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, let's put her in a private detention room, as if there are public detention rooms. And no, literally no times at all she escapes from it. Yeah, it was just weird. Okay. And we we quickly get Flesh Crawler. He's, he's in, I guess, a, a van or, or I don't know what it is, a Hummer or something, by the bank, because I guess he wants to watch the robbery somehow. I, I, I wasn't sure what he was doing there. Banks, of course, right across the street from the uh, the Church of Eternal Empowerment, because we've got to get that church in there somehow. Very convenient. <laughs> I think this is the first time we get a good look at Dominic Dark. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I'm like, he's crazy demonic. Hadn't seen that part before. Yeah, he looks like straight from the pits of hell or something. What, what's going on? So co-workers of Joni are able to get in, no problem. They're on the list. She's on the list. I think. She's able to get in, but she's doing it while wearing her black wig, her Catwoman costume, I guess under a coat, maybe? Yeah, that didn't make any sense. I was like, alright. Okay, her dad is or was a cop, Those guys still on the force. The cops, they should know what she looks like, or at least realize, isn't she supposed to be blonde? Yeah, what's going on here? Why does this person look completely different? So, great use of secret identity there. <laughs> That that part just didn't make any sense for me. And the police actually guarding the door because they're doing a, an ad at the bank, I guess. <laughs> I, again, that part did, didn't make sense to me. And it feels like, I, I don't know, the guy who's putting the money into the bag outside the vault or whatever, is that the Mr. Drake she works for? I I think so. It looks enough like him that I, I'm thinking maybe? That's what I was thinking. So so if not, that's that's a problem. Yeah. If so, why? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's Bank Heist, that's where you get to see her with those claws, the magical claws that rip through. I would think it's, I don't know, it looks like steel to me. Well, it know. slices the gun in half. Yeah, boom. So I'm like, these things are lethal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And her, her fighting ability and, and whatnot. Yeah. There's somewhere in here, I think it's when he first met Catwoman, he said, oh, he's like, oh, you can call me Fergo. And they keep calling him Fergo, and I was just like, that's not the guy's name, but... Actually, it is. He doesn't like to be called Fleshcrawler. Oh, okay. I, so that's his real name, Fergo. I'm like, man, 
I, I don't know. His real name and his nickname both are horrible. <laughs> yeah, Fergo. I would I would kind of agree with that. I'm just like, what kind of name is Fergo? That's that's horrible. <laughs> well, and when when she gets out of the bank that Fergo hasn't actually been in, although she knows, I guess he's behind it because well he kidnapped her uh, or had her kidnapped. She goes jumping on the the car or whatever and, and slices through the roof. Yep. Boom. So it's like, yeah, those those claws not uh, to be trifled with. And now we get, I'm not going to say an explanation for the, the spacesuit, but we find out it's got a rocket pack. <laughs> that's a good reason to be walking around in a spacesuit for 24-7. That can't be cool. That, that's got to be hot. Well, you can have a cooling thing in the, the spacesuit. That part I get. But if you grab onto a guy with a jet pack, grab his foot and hang on, you should be in like the the blast trail or whatever, that seems like it'd be hot and not pleasant. It looks like the flames are going into her face. And I'm just like, how is she not just completely eviscerated, burnt to a crisp? I'm like, what happened? It's okay. She can see in the dark. (laughs) Because that and a bright light in your face, that seems like a good combination. (laughs) Oh my god. That's Here at the end, it just got completely insane. I'm like, what? I almost kind of check out at points because I'm like, this is complete nonsense, what I'm reading. What, what got me is, okay, flesh crawler. If he had some kind of problem with his flesh, like it was crawling, it wasn't staying on, whatever, and he was using the spacesuit to kind of keep himself intact or something like that, that's fine. That's not at all what they did. So I didn't get why he had the, the spacesuit, why he needed a rocket pack to begin with, and why at the first sign of trouble he just flies through the roof of his car. Yeah. So I, I felt like there was a part of the story that, that wasn't necessarily told, and that, that bothered me a little. Yeah, almost like we ran out of time here, and it, it, almost like they ripped some pages out or something. I don't know if it was that, or they wanted to show that the cat always lands on her feet. I guess, yeah, that works. <laughs> so she gets knocked off, because, I mean, this is almost like a Spider-Man has held on to the, the vulture or the goblin or whatever and gets kicked loose, and, oh, falling to his death, how does he survive sort of moment. The cat lands on her feet. Yeah. So part of it was the art, part of it was the story. This one just didn't work for me in a lot of respects. I I, I kind of went through the motions of reading it, but this I didn't. I wouldn't say I enjoy it. I I wouldn't I wouldn't say I would tell people to read it either. You know, this is something you should go out and read. I mean, unless you just want to remember something that Stan Lee wrote over at DC, which is kind of cool. You know, revisiting it. Yeah, this is the one I'd put lowest on the list out of all the ones we've read. Yeah, I would agree. It, it, it's down there. It's it's definitely. At near the bottom, if not at the complete bottom. What did you think of the backup on this one? The backup, the only thing that I found interesting in there was the reference to Black Canary. I thought that was cool, but it was okay. It, it, it wasn't bad. It just, it didn't have a lot to do with the main story other than the Black Canary twist. What did you think? Did you catch the other uh, DCU reference? Oh, what was the other one? Uh, Joni's dad, he gets a first name. Oh, what was that? I, I don't remember. Hal. Oh, okay, okay. All so right. He's Hal Jordan. Oh, okay. All right. No, I did not get that one. I got the Black Canary, but I didn't get that. And That's then uh, the guy that Miss Drake is just uh, going off on yeah. is, his name is Mr. Lance, I think. Oh, okay. And I'm wondering if that is, again, another kind of Black Canary reference. I'm trying to remember what the Golden Age Black Canary's husband on Earth 2, what his name was, and I'm blanking on that. Oh, I can't help you. <laughs> there were a couple of, you know, Easter egg sort of things like that here. Yeah, but not a very deep story at all. 
No, it's it's ultimately a, a pointless one of, of yeah. you know, she's got a neighbor who's crazy. Pretty much. That's it. Boom. You know, and the guys that looked like the biker game coming, she thought, to attack Joni or whatever, turn out to be other cops to get Joni's story about the break-in, but they didn't look like the cops we'd seen in the lead story. Not that that matters. I don't know. This one, again, the art style is a little different, a little more cartoony or whatever. Who was the artist on that? Darwin Cook. Darwin Cook. Oh, okay. All right. Darwin Cook. Definitely his style. Yeah, definitely Darwin Cook's style. And not bad. It told the story well, but... So different from the first part. Exactly. So different from the first. It it seemed like a lot of those backups, you almost like... It was jarring when you'd get into them because the styles and the story was just so different. Boom. You know, almost like Whiplash. Yeah, yeah. I I think there's a a trick to finding the right artist for a backup feature in the lead. You don't want it to be identical. Well, you you can have it be identical, but you need to have a clear dividing line. It's clear the main story ended and the backup's beginning, but you can do that with captions, with titling, with, you know, half a dozen very easy and obvious, and I would think storytelling techniques you'd want to use anyways, or you could have one that is so jarringly different that you can't help but notice you've smacked into another story. Yeah. And that's what they went for on a lot of these. I, I would say, like, a backup story... The thing that I like when there's a good backup story, it doesn't have to be, you know, tie in directly to it, but it's good. It's a plus if it does. And it has to be something that's satisfying. You know, if, even if it's 10 pages, if you can give me something satisfying that's relatively tied in to the main story. But the majority of the backup stories here and that we get in general have nothing to do with the main story. They're, they feel almost throwaway. And that's where you're to like, like why are we just filling pages it doesn't make sense you know yeah give me yeah give me give me 40 pages and charge me the same price rather than throw just filler in there and it's kind of weird at that point yeah this other than having a, an easter egg or two on the whole black canary and, and that sort of thing which really isn't connected directly to catwoman i guess maybe through birds of prey or something but i almost would have preferred if these pages had been used to tell what had been up with ebony the cat during the main story yeah and that could have been interesting. That would have been interesting. I, I would have liked that. So, yeah, they're not doing well on these backups. No, they're not. That one was definitely a swing and a miss. That that whole comic was a swing and a miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Shall we go over to Sandman? Yeah, the weirdest of the choices. <laughs> yeah, man, I don't know what I would have picked, but it would... I, I don't know that Sandman would have, you know, been at the top of my list or even on my list. No, th- there's a lot of DC characters that they could have picked. And just bizarre that they chose him. I wish they would have had a text piece in these explaining what inspired Stan to go the route he did or why they picked the character they did or whatever. Yeah. Did did Stan accidentally think this was Sandman from Spider-Man and that's why he picked him? (laughs) He actually pulls a part of that in at the end. So Yeah. So maybe. Yeah. No. But this was definitely the in your dreams guy. Yeah, I didn't care for how this story started out. Yeah. With he's in space about to die, and then we flash back to his childhood, and we get so many captions. Yeah, lots of captions. And we get what looks like, and this is, I think, a, takes a little while before I think we even get the guy's name. Uh, it turns out to be, what, Larry Wilton. But he was a sickly kid, he spent time in the dream world. And there are parts of this that that harken back to incarnations of the Wesley Dodd Sandman. And to a degree, the Hector Hall Sandman. Okay. So spending time in the the dream world and and things of that sort. 
which technically also applies to the Neil Gaiman version of, of Sandman. But then we kind of jump forward a bunch of years. It's like, uh, he magically got healed from whatever had made him sickly. So he decided to go work out and become a, a genius and an astronaut. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to decide I'm going to be a supreme athlete and a genius. Like, like it's a choice. <laughs> I want to know why more people don't make that choice. If it's that simple, why don't we all do it? Yeah, he basically turns into Captain America at this point. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, you look at him, he, he's lifting weights, he's looking strong, and yeah. Or uh, John Jameson. Yeah. So, What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. And then what got me was the sleeping death plague that's going around that we have not heard anything about, so I'm assuming it just hit. Yeah, it just hit and avoided all the other comics. And people are just, you know, randomly falling asleep and seeming to maybe... It implies, you know, sleeping death like they've died, but they maybe haven't, and some of them wake up and go nuts. Yeah. They're chugging black coffee to try and stay awake. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Fortunately, we've got a hero that we know is going to have a connection to the dream world, so, you know, gosh, I wonder where this goes. Yeah. Da, da, da. The green mist this time is in space, because let's make it hard to get to. Yeah, that was kind of funny. <laughs> that, that made no sense. The second-in-command of Brian who seems to go nuts, take over the, the ship while Larry's out on a spacewalk fixing an external fuel leak that, hell, for all I know, Brian caused. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing was, was out of left field. Before they get up to do that, though, we've got to have Brian taking Larry to the Church of Internal Empowerment, which is bigger on the inside. It's like, I don't know that we've gotten that TARDIS aspect before, but okay. Yeah, I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> I will say the art carries off the bigger on the inside look. No argument there. I would agree. But, you know, Larry is just having no time of this because somebody falls, it seems like dying or whatever, of the sleeping death. He tries to help, and Morgana's like, oh yeah, who just let him go. It's like, what kind of church is this? <laughs> Where you just kick back and watch people die, just completely no care at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not a church most people would want to go to, I would think. Yeah, I, the whole thing boggles the mind. <laughs> I, when you think about it, if you think too much about any of these comics, you're just like, this makes no sense. This makes no sense. There are some that make a lot less sense than others. Some have some wackiness, but there is at least an internal logic to it. Some of this is just kind of happening. Yeah, it just, it just, okay, this is what happens. And you just, at this point, after reading this many Stanley comics, I'm just kind of rolling with the punches. Okay, boom. There we go. <laughs> well, and it's one of those things. In the first few pages, he sets up the dream world, and then it takes another 10, 15 pages to get back to it. Yep, yep. And we get a, a little bit of, I guess, the Tree of Life, because it's got to be involved. And again, how does the green mist in outer space get into the spacesuit to impact him or whatever? Why is it in space to begin with? Again, craziness. How's he fall to Earth and land on his shoulder and just get up and walk away? Right? <laughs> well, because he's in the dream world. He's not falling to Earth. Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. And he's getting hunted by the guy who'd hunted him as a child, so he is, you know, the chosen one, and we get, what is her name? Oh, yeah, that girl. Malena. Malena, yeah. Yeah, get her, she's kind of, she's the oracle in this world, she's his protector. Red Sonia with blonde hair. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't know, the art on this, it's, it's Walt Simonson, so it's not bad art, but it wouldn't really, really working for me. Yeah, I, I know what you mean there. Walt Simonson, when he was doing really good things, he's good, but sometimes he can be a little bit off. And 
The more I look at, at her costume, which blade is the other one that comes to mind? All the intricate designs, yeah. Now that yeah. you say it. Very true. So we get all this stuff in the dream world, and then he he gets the the power because he's the chosen one. Gets the enchanted boots, the, the mystical gauntlet, you know, he becomes the Sandman. And the costume's actually not too bad. Not bad at all. Yeah, bulky boots, but whatever. Really bulky boots on the first part, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it works. He could double his, you know, shields or something like that. Yeah. But when it, it comes time for him to, to bail out after he's had a chance to realize he could become intangible, and what are his, his dream powers or whatever, there's this, this poem to, to enchant or whatever, and boom, you, you wake up and you're back where you were. Which, of course, is floating in space with a spaceship that's flown off on you and you're running out of air. So I don't know that, that waking up necessarily the best of choices, but magically there's another shuttle that was waiting and, and comes to save him. <laughs> Very convenient. I don't know that they ever really explain what happened to his shuttle, other than it flew off. Yeah, it just gone. Then we go back to church. Yeah, we, we fast forward over, you know, the explaining away the whole stuff up there. He goes back to the church because he wants to know what caused his second-in-command, Brian, to go nuts. He walks in and, of course, is immediately... I don't know, recognized or, or sensed, I guess, would be the better word, and gets a private audience with the reverend, even though he's in the middle of conducting a service. Not want a private meeting with this reverend, just how he looks. That's just me. Well, he's got one of those cloaks, that, you know, with a hood that covers the face all in shadow, so you don't really see how he looks. Yeah, almost like a Palpatine from Star Wars. Very much. <laughs> like, I don't want to meet with him. <laughs> and I wasn't entirely sure what to make of when he tried to touch the wristband or whatever, he gets this shock and it's like, okay, audience is over, be gone. That's, I, I don't know what happened there either. That was weird. Was he going for it and then it, it, it was like an automatic defense? That's what I, I don't know. Because he looks like he's hurt from it. He was going to, uh, to touch it to see what it was. It seemed to have the green energy of life or whatever, and of course he's evil, so matter, antimatter, I guess, sort of, or, or you know, good, not so good kind of thing. So, I also didn't entirely get how when he's in the park and somebody collapses because of the sleeping death, he's able to see the demonic thing, you know, sucking life energy out. Oh, this too feels like the 70s era DC Sandman with, you know, he could see nightmare creatures and stuff plaguing people or whatnot. Not that I've really read much of that era of Sandman and certainly none, none of it probably in the last 40 years. So if my recollection is off on that, I apologize. Hey, no, that works. But he goes and he punches it and then pretty much saves the guy from the, the sleeping sickness. You'd think, but apparently all everybody else saw was him attacking the other guy. Yeah, you knocked him out. <laughs> yeah, he was falling from the sleeping death before that, but let's blame the, 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 the good Samaritan. Why not? Yeah. And this is like the one time he really has to use the intangibility to where he could like sink into the ground and hide from these people. Yeah, that was kind of funny. It's like that works well. So what else are you going to do? You're going to go home and fall asleep and go back to the dream world, because that's a good plan. <laughs> and this is where he realizes that there's this huge like army of people out there that was what's being stolen from the waking world by the sleeping death. Yeah, there's like billions, billions, who knows? This is something that I really wish they had plotted this out far enough that they could have been planting seeds of the sleeping death in the earlier issues. Yeah, because we never saw it. If they would have shown people dropping, what happened to him? I don't know. He just seems to have fallen asleep. 
or just I've lost track of so and so. He hadn't yeah, reached out in a while. Though? I guess he's busy, you know. Yeah, I don't know. They were feeling sleepy. Either they went home, and I never saw him again. And then boom, now you have your ten million people or souls here. Or you just get stood up for a date or something like that. And you don't know what happens to them. There's there's half a dozen ways they could do it. Yeah, you know. But to to just set it up here and. It's it's suddenly a big thing, and a big enough thing that the chosen one of the dream world effectively has to run and hide in the waking world, not once but twice. Yeah. And of course, it's good that he woke up this time when he did, because he's about to get thrown out the window by Dark's thugs. And it's like, if you want to kill him, you could just be a little more direct about it. Yeah, just kill him. But all right, whatever. And apparently he has to race into his body in before it goes splat to go intangible with it. I don't know, the whole thing. I think there was some logic to be had there, I just didn't totally follow it. Yeah, a little bit silly at that point. Yeah. And of course, then he decides to go fly up and, and go after the guys who threw him out, and it's like, he can fly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- th- these last few books were, were definitely bottom-of-the-barrel scrapers, I felt like. It may be that Stan had just kind of run out of juice after cranking out so many things so fast. Yeah, I mean, because he started off strong. I mean, I like the Superman. I like some of the other characters. But here at the end, it was just, it was kind of rough going. Yeah. And I think part of it is with some of the characters, Batman, Superman, there's a lot more to bounce off of or whatever than Catwoman or certainly Sandman, who, aside from the Neil Gaiman run, has, it's been ages since he's really been a, a major player. Yeah, these last two books were, were definitely really rough. Well, and I think they also had to start spending a little more time setting up the church as the big threat. Correct. You know, because it, it gets to where Larry goes back to the church again to go face off with Dark, except he gets called by uh, Milena of, hey, I need help in the dream world. So genius that this guy is, he basically hides in a storage bin, figuring, oh, nobody's used this for ages, my body will be safe here. <laughs> Okay, yeah, they found you at your apartment and threw you out a window. Do you think they cannot find you in their own church? It's like, come on, dude. What? I, I, I don't think you need mystical powers there. All you need is a security camera. Yeah, pretty much. I'm like, that That just seemed bizarre. Yeah. And then the whole bit with the treadmill and the dream world, the dream logic type stuff, it's like, I didn't feel they'd set the dream logic stuff up earlier well enough for this to really make sense. But when we get this big bad... I was kind of confused as to, you know, who he was, what he was. But when he basically takes him out by turning into sand, because, okay, that makes sense, I guess. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, why? Why is sand destroy this character? <laughs> All right. Well, and how that somehow marks him now as the Sandman physically, I, I was puzzled by that. That almost reminded me of uh, Shadow Man over at Valiant. Oh, yeah. But then, how did Melina phrase it? Uh, crisis is imminent. So they, like, fly with the uh, army of, of dream ghosts or whatever behind them. He does the poem and stuff. They go into the real world, and that frees the people back t- to find their bodies, and everyone's okay. Everyone's happy. Yeah, it's like, well, that was an easy fix. And then when he wakes up with Milana in... The storage cubbyhole he'd put his body in, we find out Dark is dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay, because he was the guy they were fighting over in the dream world, and it's like, okay, if if, if they hadn't done it quick enough, because he was going to go stab Larry, because, well, again, didn't hide very well. And then they, they walk out of the church, 
And did it, like, blow up behind them? Yeah, that was weird. It, it took on a whole Nightmare on Elm Street type thing. You know, you kill someone in the dream world, they die in the real world, and then that's how I took it. Church is blown, blown up. It's gone. Well, I took that as it almost reminded me of uh, one of the visuals from uh, the Legends miniseries DC did in the 80s or whatever. I forget who it was that was the big towering thing, you know, threatening thing. I think it might have been Chemo or whatever. But anyways, we've got this gigantic thing having burst out of out of uh, the church. Yeah, and that's the monitor, I'm guessing. Uh, well, it turns out to be Crisis. Yeah, Crisis. Yeah, that, that at the time I was like thinking, this is the monitor, but yeah. No, certainly I think the monitor or anti-monitor would be a good thing. Tall enough to be a Galactus-type, Devourer of Worlds, so there's, there's a lot of go-to kind of deals. Yeah, before I read the next comic, I was like, oh, so this must be the monitor because they're saying the Crisis has come to Earth, but we find out his name is Crisis. I did think the name being Crisis was interesting. I, I agree. It, it, it's interesting. What did you think of the, what, three or four page backup story in, in Sandman? It was very weird. It, it, it was cool that, you know, the crisis is coming and everything. So it kind of played into it. But it was it was bizarre at the same time. I didn't get any. Did you get Easter eggs in there or something? No, not really. It's just a homeless man's aware of the upcoming crisis, the threat from the dream world. He wakes up. Tries to warn people. Nobody listens. And they smash him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they smash him with a car. I was like, okay, it kind of ties in, but not much happens, really. The guy seemed to know an awful lot for a backup character, or feature of a backup character. Yeah, he's apparently a, a psychic. A possessor of, of exposition, at the very least. Oh, yeah. Who's the main guy in the crisis right now putting it on? Psycho Pirate. No, this guy's just... Uh, he's not even psycho. <laughs> and pirates, you got to go back to uh, Aquaman for that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this this almost felt like we need to build up the crisis because while they've been telling us it's been coming, I don't really feel that they've built it up. I would agree. We got that little thing, crisis is here, and I was thinking, okay, cool, this is the monitor. It, it, but of course, Stan's doing his own thing, so that's a dude named Crisis. That's a character called Crisis. Not a shouldn't say a dude, but a character. It just feels like if Sandman had really been doing his job and, and solved his thing like everybody else had, we wouldn't have needed a 12th issue for a crisis. Just saying. I agree. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you dropped the ball there, Sandman. Yeah. Now, Crisis itself, there were a couple of things on this. First off, we got our art by John Cassidy, so good stuff. Yeah, it was actually the best art of the four issues that we read. Yeah, I, I definitely. I don't think it was Cassidy's best work, but I thought it was good. Yeah, I agree. I liked kind of the roll call uh, uh, down the two sides of the first page. Very kind of a DC feel. Yeah. The the part one, Crisis JLA, again, very kind of a DC feel of a title, like a, a JLA-JSA crossover sort of a thing. Yeah. I was just thinking, instead of Sandman, they should put Green Arrow. W why would you go Green Arrow? I don't know. Just a popular character, you know? Like, uh, I'm just thinking, like, who's a popular character that, uh, you know, people, could, they could have pitched to be in here? I mean, they could have done anyone. I'd have gone Firestorm. Firestorm would have been cool. What, what is that guy? Deadpool? Not Deadpool. Deathstroke? Uh, Deathstroke's a villain. I wouldn't have gone with him. Yeah, they could have done, like, a lot of, I'm just trying to think of who's a popular character they could have done. I would have picked another Justice Leaguer. So, Hawkman. Hawkman would have been perfect. Martian Manhunter, Firestorm, of course. I would have gone with Hawkman. I like Hawkman. Well, they, they do go with Hawkman later in this issue. That's true. He is in here. Yeah, some of the stuff they do with that is just kind of bizarre. But 
Because we start at the Museum of Antiquities, because just calling it the Museum of Old Stuff would be, you know, a little too on the nose. And that's apparently the museum from the Wonder Woman backup feature, because they've got the, the Hawk runes or whatever. Yep. Now, okay, Miss Prince is basically saying, stop him, stop him, he's stolen one of those. Catwoman is there and already chasing him? Yeah, that was very convenient. I'm like, how did she get there? What's going on? Yeah, I, I was puzzled by that. And it's, I thought it in the first page very clearly, Robin. Yep. And if not, by the, the second page or whatever, it seems pretty clear. It's definitely Robin, yeah. A little Easter egg on that second page, the huge statue he tips over. Uh-huh. Etragon. Oh, okay. That's the demon of the DCU. And it is a demon-looking thing, different demon, but still, so nice. Very cool. I thought it was hilarious when Diana's like, oh, you know, she's calling Maria for help because she'd rather not wait till he dies of old age. Yeah. I'm like, wait a sec. In this universe, <laughs> that may not be very long of a wait. It's true. <laughs> the page after that, I, I kind of like the splash page with all the characters. I thought that was kind of a cool page. Well, it's kind of funny because we bring in Wonder Woman, who apparently can, like, teleport, I guess. Yeah. And she's using her, her golden shield, which is in the shape of a staff, because that's not confusing. <laughs> and she summons all of the other heroes. Boom. They're all there. Great page. Sandman looks a little different than we saw him last issue, but whatever. Exactly. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, who is this? <laughs> what I think, though, is, is worst teammate ever. I mean, these guys may have a life or whatever, and you suddenly poof, they're here. Yeah. I, I, what were the, it, Luckily, they were dressed in their costumes wherever they were. Or were put into their costumes or transformed if they were not? That's true. That could have happened, because I, I can just imagine I'm sitting there taking a shower, and then boom, I'm here. What? Huh? <laughs> Thanks. I would almost have cut to Shazam's partner. Oh, yeah. With, before this, she's there, they're about to go do something. Cut to this, cut back to her of, oh, you know, that doesn't work out so well, because he's gone, you know. <laughs> that would have been funny. But nice to have the whole team assembled. It was a little interesting to just kind of, you know, suddenly grab everybody, just because you can. And this whole bit of Sandman apparently having the husk of she calls him Dr. Dark versus Reverend Dark, so that that's a little weird. And he's like, I don't need to explain. It's like, oh, but in the JLA, all are equals among equals. Uh, I mean, like, redundant much. <laughs> and respect our rules or get you gone, poorly phrased much. Uh, but also, wait, wait a sec, which is it? Are you a team or are you not? And maybe let this guy know the rules before threatening to boot him out of a group you literally just drafted him into. You just grabbed him. He doesn't even know he's part of this group. And now you're threatening. <laughs> I was reading that too. I was like, he literally just had a comic. He's never really met this woman. Well, and I couldn't tell where this was taking place for Sandman because just a few pages ago as we read it, he had walked out of the church. Yeah. Without Dark. Yep. But now he has his husk. So did he just turn around, go back and grab it? I guess. That's the kind of thing, if you're reading it month to month, I don't think most people would notice. But back to back, you see it and you're just like, What's going on here? Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> back to back, it really jumps out. There are enough word balloons on some of these pages to be Bendis level. Yeah, it, it got a lot. This one was very slow reading. It's like, okay, everyone's talking, and it's like, everyone had to have their moment in the spotlight, and a lot of words for their moment. Yeah, I, I think if I'd realized how much reading some of these were going to be, we'd have done them in three issue installments instead of four, because these were... 40, 50 pages a story or whatever per issue, and not light reading. 
No, no, th- these were pretty meaty. Th- this is more than we normally read when we're doing a back issue spotlight. Yeah. And this one in particular, because we had everybody coming home to roost. Yeah. And, and just a lot going on. I would agree with you there. But I mean, it, you know, it's kind of cool having all the characters here and having them all do their little part, even as ludicrous as it is that they are all brought together and they don't even know they're in a team and threats are being thrown down. <laughs> but yeah, because Superman and Shazam start fighting. Green Lantern's got to break them up. You know, uh, another fight almost breaks out, and Aquaman's got to, you know, step in and such. You know, it's, it's again, the cliche of, you know, get too many heroes in a room and a fight breaks out. Yeah, uh, that happened here. And for whatever reason, we get that one page where Wonder Woman, she has basically like almost these black demon eyes at one point. It was, mm-hmm. was kind of weird. I was like, what is going on there? But whatever. I just kind of rolled with it. White yeah. pupils of black eyes. I was like, that's bizarre. She had that a time or two. Yeah, I, I don't know if she's using her powers and maybe her eyes change, what that was. Well, and even as quickly as we've read these, I've forgotten if, if that showed up in her comic or not. You know, like, we read that three weeks ago, probably. That's <laughs> three weeks versus, you know, nine months or something. So. Oh, yeah, and we still can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we quickly get everybody together and finally on the same page of, you know, let's let's go do something about this big threat that's going to wipe out the world, because maybe that's a big deal. And we even get a good close-up at one point of, what was it, the Sapphire Amulet of, of Ranagar, which didn't look particularly Sapphire-ish to me, I guess, but okay. <laughs> and I had mentioned last time that I thought it was Doctor Thirteen's medallion or whatever. yeah. I forget who it was that pointed out, it was on the uh, Slack channel, that it looked more like, uh, actually it was Dr. Doctor Occult Amulet was what I was thinking of, but somebody, and I forget who it was, I think it was Jason. Jason. I think it was Jason, yeah. Yeah, That it was more likely Phantom Strangers. Yeah, by the way, Jason is really good with his memory of stuff. I mean, it's insanely good. He sometimes will even bring up things when you're doing those uh, Legion spotlights. Mm -hmm. Pretty, pretty cool. He's got some good stuff at times. Sam does. I love it when people... I mean, I'm going to get stuff wrong occasionally, if not fairly often. So, you know, hey, corrections are are appreciated as long as they're, you know, polite in tone, not a you idiot. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I know I'm an idiot. Jeez, come on. (laughs) I'll tell you what, though. When we first see that amulet kind of sitting there on that table, it looked almost like a rotary phone to me, (laughs) just the way it was set up. (laughs) You know, it, it... It was not that far off from a hero dial either, because one of them was a uh, necklace kind of a setup. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. So, and it's funny because at that point, because this would have been the 80s version with uh, Vicky Grants, it had uh, four buttons on it, H-E-R-O, so you can't really misspell too many things, versus the classic precursor version that had 10 alien characters on it, or the later version that was an actual, you know, regular rotary dial. But we get Mark Merlin and Tommy Tomorrow coming back. They were the backup feature characters from Robin. Yeah. And it's funny because Madame Xanadu figures she's got to go take action because, you know, Dark is dead. She doesn't know who Dark's other child is. She thinks it's either Mark Merlin or Tommy Tomorrow. Maybe neither. Who knows? And she winds up pretty quickly banishing them into the, uh, the Phantom Zone. Yep. Boom. There they go. And I couldn't tell if this was the same place she had unbanished them from in the Robin backup feature or not. So a lot of, of open questions there. Letting them get away with the uh, the amulet, maybe not the best plan. I would agree. <laughs> but who do they run into but the Phantom Stranger? Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> this version really felt like it should have been out of the Giffen de Mateus Justice League Bwahaha era. 
Yeah, I would agree. I actually have that omnibus too, and I've I've actually thumped through it and read some of it. Yeah, I would agree. There's just a a goofiness to the look. I would yes, there very much is. And this was kind of weird because he knows that neither Tommy nor Mark are kids of of Dark, and he somehow proves it by taking the demon that had somehow taken Roost or whatever in Tommy Tomorrow and and yanks it out of her. I don't know what that did because I don't know that we ever see her again. Yeah, that was weird. Just boom, out of there and then gone. <laughs> and then Mark's confused that he's not, you know, the son of, of Dark. And he's like, well, then who am I? It's like, idiot, you're, you're, you're Merlin's kid, which he is basically what he claimed he might have been in the backup feature of Robin. So a little discontinuity there. It just felt a little weird. It did feel very weird. And then they just kind of they kind of just disappear there. Into oh, yeah. A- after that, poof, we're done with them. Yeah, we, we don't need these characters anymore. Gone. <laughs> we do need to explain that Phantom Stranger was Adam Strange, because sure, why not? Yep. And then cut to part two, Crisis on Earth. It's like, okay, I don't again, we don't see Mark, Tommy, Phantom Stranger, Adam Strange, any of them again. So boot them out of the story. And the crisis that walks the Earth looks fairly different than what we saw at the end of Sandman, I thought. I, I agree. It was this big almost like red creature. I thought he looked like the monitor versus here. It's it just completely different. The color, the look, everything. It, it, it's almost like they didn't look at each other's art. Maybe they were created separately and, and the both books came out at the same time. The, the artwork, I don't know, came in at the same time. They didn't want to redo it. I can see not having, you know, the finished pages of Sandman before whoever started on this did this. And he's like, I'm not changing it. Yeah. But have somebody do a, a design so both artists are working off the same reference. You would think that would be the solution. Here's what he's going to look like. Boom. It but, seems pretty obvious to me to do that. Yeah, because I look at it and I know who it is because they tell us who it is. But if you showed me this character and you showed me the end page, I think they're two different characters completely. There, there has to be a reasonable explanation for this because Stanley's been around the block as a writer, as an editor, etc. So he wouldn't have made that mistake. Mike Carlin edited these books. He's been around the block as much, if not more, than Stan in some respects, because Mike was the one who was doing the weekly titles over at DC for a while, yeah, as well as the the Triangle Era of Superman and stuff. So they had a pretty, you know, top-notch editor on this, too. So, And that just seems like something really big to fall through the cracks. I don't think it fell through the cracks. I think it was something that they were kind of forced into. I just can't imagine how or why. That That's it, yes. It happened, and we don't know why. Who knows? Yeah. And then we get Alana showing up as Oracle to explain everything away as to, oh, there are these five, what, Dreamworld sapphires, one on his helmet, one on his chest, one on his shield, one on his belt, armband, and boot. Only by removing them can we defeat him. <laughs> so let's split into pairs, and, and you guys take this, we'll take that kind of a deal. The, the splitting off into pairs, again, very JLA-JSA team-up kind of mentality. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because I would have done the pairs maybe a little bit differently because we've got Superman and Batman working together. I mean, World's Finest, that kind of makes sense. Yep. But I almost would have tried to pair those who had been in the JLA issue and those who had not, you know, one of each, new and old. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a little bit more sense. And they kind of did, because we've got Aquaman and Wonder Woman, we've got Green Lantern and Sandman, Robin and Catwoman. So really, how many of the characters had been around by the time of of the JLA issue? Man, now you're testing my memory. And again, we didn't read it that long ago. 
It, it'd be like four of them, I would think. I believe. Would have been five. It would have been... Five. Batman, okay. Wonder Woman, Superman, Green Lantern, and Flash. Flash was there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, all five of them. Yeah. So you... And then we got the JLA issue, and then we got the secret files. So again, then we got Mark, I would have tried characters. to pair them that way, so I probably would have put Batman and Catwoman together, because why not? I'm not sure who I would have paired with who for the rest, but still. Anyways. But split them out, and let's go fight. Let's go do this. Yeah. Get it done. And of course, we've got a traitor in our midst, because, well, why not? <laughs> and this is where we start getting the genealogy of everything. Which was kind of cool. You know, we get Mike... Actually, Mark Merlin does show up here because Morgan Le Fay is uh, his mother. So they're going to go off either somewhere safe or they get vaporized. I wasn't totally sure which. Yeah. It, it, it could be read either way, honestly. Yeah. I mean, they leave the amulet and gone forever by my hand from Crisis. So that implies he vaporized them. So little unclear storytelling. So uh, a surprising amount of this issue is just a free-for-all brawl, either amongst the JLA or JLA against Crisis. Much. It, it, it was like a big fight issue with some inner workings in between. Yeah, and the dream nightmare sequences that everyone kind of goes through because of, of Crisis, who's, I guess, from the dream world, felt a little weird. Weird. It didn't really work for me that well. Yeah. Like, I, I could have done without that part. Well, and part of it is it was so rapid fire, they get all of, you know, a panel for each. Exactly. And this being the big issue, basically this is all you had was the crisis fight because there was no backup or anything. It was all building up to this. Well, and it's funny because at this point in the story, when crisis is really letting loose, doing the nightmares and stuff, yeah, I would have almost had this be the end of a JLA issue as the 11th leading into the rest of, you know, the, the climax of the story in the, in the final issue. Yeah, that, that would have made sense. Because they had to, to spend... It felt like about half the issue, I, I haven't counted the pages or whatever, but setting the JLA back up to go have this fight. Exactly. Getting the team together, having them bicker amongst themselves, punch each other in the face, decide they're going to be buddies, make the teams go off, <laughs> and then the fight happens. And they don't even stay buddies for long because Robin basically, and I don't know how he knows how to do this, uses Sandman's, he says amulet, but really it's his, his gauntlet, to go banish Superman back to his world. Now, remember, way back in Superman, that we didn't find out the name of, of his home planet because it's not like we could pronounce it. It's Krypton. It's Krypton. <laughs> I know. That's really not that hard to pronounce. I think I can handle that one. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> come on. It'd be too difficult for us to pronounce that, yeah, Krypton. <laughs> so that was kind of crazy. This is another one. And of course, it's with Robin where we flash back to the beginning of the issue, because Robin is nothing but flashbacks. Got to get reminded about the Hawk Idol, because that's going to come in to, to be a big deal. And then we spend a couple of pages finger-pointing. You're the, the mole or the traitor or whatever. And finding out that Milana or whatever is Dark's ex-wife and the daughter of Crisis. Yeah. No foreshadowing. It's like, come on, set that up better. Nothing. It was literally just, okay, all right, that. Nothing was given to us that would have indicated that anywhere, but all right, cool. Yeah, that didn't make any sense, and all the infighting, and they think Sandman's the traitor and whatnot. And again, grabbing what Robin keeps calling the amulet out of the gauntlet confused me, because that didn't seem to be how it was set up in, in Sandman. And then these other things that Crisis had, and he's suddenly trapping people in those, I guess those are the, the other... Amulets or whatever. Yeah, sapphire things that he had. 
Yeah, sucking them into the gems. So yeah, yeah I'm a, they almost look like Infinity Stones or Infinity Gems, you know? They're kind of used that way. I mean, they're yeah. not power and, and the same... Except they're all purple. They're all purple, and they're all generically the same power versus particular time, space, reality, whatever that the Infinity Stones and gems are. Yeah, so I, I like the purple color. That worked for me. <laughs> it worked. Robin being the, the... Bad guy. Yeah, the bad guy, the son of, of Dark, the son of Oracle, and therefore the grandson of Crisis. Like, okay, that that's that's quite a bit right there. Yeah, that was like no setup for that anywhere. It was just boom. All right, spin this thing on a dime, and here we are. And then it's like, okay, the heroes have lost. I mean, Sandman's still standing around doing nothing. But it's like, if he was worth anything, we wouldn't have had this whole problem to begin with. I think. Man, go close yourself into a box and start dreaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go run away again. Yeah. And then we hit part three: Crisis the Universe. And poof, we're over. And this is where we find out Superman's back on Krypton. Yeah, that was kind of funny. He's floating around. Krypton. Having a good time. And it made no sense because it's like, oh, I miss Earth. Let me go find some radioactive energy stuff. I know, I'll call it Kryptonite. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, wish upon a star or whatever, it links up with the Tree of Life, and poof, he teleports back to Earth really quick. Hey, look, I'm back here with you, Batman. <laughs> His whole shtick was, I want to get back to my unpronounceable planet, and that's not going to be possible. And he makes a round trip in a few pages in this issue. Yeah, he got back there, he's like, ah, Grass isn't always greener. I'm a back. I'm out of here. That was hilarious. I want to see him have words with with Green Lantern after this, because clearly the Tree of Life could have sent him back whenever. Yeah, that was funny. So Batman using Wonder Woman's staff to open his mind and spirit. <laughs> have humanity save us? Because again, we beat that drum pretty hard at the midway point. If humanity's got to save everything, that was kind of cheesy. Yeah, <laughs> and I recognized in the the page where we've got all the faces and stuff, one or two of them, because it looked like the cop from Green Lantern was there with the ponytail. Yep. Catwoman's dad there at the bottom, the other person who was trying to get her thrown out of the condo association there, a few of the others not so much, I couldn't tell who they were supposed to be. I didn't know if the guy with the hat was the crazy guy running around sure. talking about a crisis. I, I We'll say it is. It must be. Sure. Who else would be wearing a hat in this world? <laughs> So, yeah, I, I wasn't sure if we were supposed to recognize all of these, because, you know, the two kids could be the ones from the backup on the Shazam stuff. They could be, because I, I really didn't pay attention to them that much. But that could be those kids. The guy with the cigar, could that be the guy from Fly By Night? They're probably all the backup stories. That could be. Okay. All right, cool. So we do have some reference back to those backup stories. We're declaring it to be such, even if it's not. How about that? It has happened. It is so. <laughs> Thus it is said. Yes. And then we go back to a fight. Yeah. Fight's back on. Superman's flying right for that guy's head. Bam! Punch him. Yeah. Right in the jewel. <laughs> well, and then when Robin decides to, to use the power of the Ink and Hawk rune, it's like Beth, I guess, suddenly showing up. That was the blonde in the, the splash page with all the others and stuff. Okay, that makes sense. You know, when Batman punches Robin, Robin drops the thing, and suddenly the Hawk power is let loose... And kind of takes over Robin, and he goes from Robin to Hawkman. I'm like, okay. That's a different kind of Hawkman. <laughs> that was hilarious. It is. And again, they could have done an entire issue on Hawkman. We have a bigger bird now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that was kind of weird at that point. I was like, all right. <laughs> we get a 
two-page splash of, and they fight. Yep. I don't know, some of this wasn't working for me, and Crisis being able to, you know, revert Wonder Woman to Maria, and just, you know, kind of, it seemed like with a wave, take them all out of commission, until Green Lantern kind of rallies or whatever, presumably with the help of the Tree of Life. Yeah, the tree comes up and grabs Hawkman. And- yeah, and, and I'm like, okay, I don't get what's going on there. Or what's going on with this this human embryo thing? <laughs> that was kind of, that was really weird. I was like, what, what are we doing? I didn't get that at all. And then for, you know, popping out of that, that crack in the floor or whatever, comes I am the Atom. Or I am Adam, not even the Atom. Yeah, a, a very humble guy too. Stare and wonder. <laughs> I am power. <laughs> he who was once Robin is now Adam. It's like, dude, you forgot Hawkman in the middle of that. Give him full credit. Yeah, this guy's gone through three iterations now. It's like, okay, this is getting really corny. <laughs> well, and the costume, it's all white with like a kind of atomic symbol sort of a thing in place of a face mask. Yeah, it just got really weird. And he seemed to be the Dr. Manhattan of the group. Yeah, yeah, the all-powerful guy. And it's like, do we threaten him? Do we ask him to join? Whatever. And this goes back to the equal among equals kind of a line from the beginning, because had it gone any other way, he'd have basically vaporized them. So, okay, he joins the JLA. <laughs> Dude, he's gone through three identities and, you know, feels like about as many pages, although it was more than that. He's betrayed you multiple times, and you join, and... It... Hey, equals among equals. We're all buds here. They shake hands. Yeah. Game I'm... over. <laughs> It was one of those things, you know, you blink and you missed him basically taking out Crisis. I mean, the guy is so powerful. It's like, why do you need the rest of the JLA? Yeah, Crisis is over with a handshake. It's like, what happened? (laughs) It just was really weird, wasn't it? It was. It was. That's the only way to describe it. It just got really weird. I'm like, all right. It started off very interesting, an interesting exercise, and it just got bizarre at the end of it. Do you look at that last page? there's something that strikes me as very odd for this ending shot of, of the JLA, Justice League for All now. Okay, yeah. What seems out of place in that group? Let me see. All right, and I'm not going to know what it is. Well, Catwoman's in green, for one thing. Bad lighting, we'll say. But Oh, that, yeah, uh, that character up on the right. Yep. Oracle. Well, I can't remember her name. Oracle, yeah. Is somehow, even though she's been... Why is she there? Yeah, exactly. Why is she there? How is she there? Wasn't she on the opposing team? Yeah, that makes no sense. Why is she there? Just noticed that. I hadn't noticed that on the first read. Well, now that you said read. it, I'm like going through. I'm like, wait a minute. Who's this? Because <laughs> we've got them in a V formation with Adam at the front, four people on each side, and then behind Adam is Batman, behind Batman is Shazam. And I'm like, wait a second. We didn't have that many characters. Exactly. We got an extra. And let's just throw a bad guy in there to even it out. Yeah. Nah, that works. Well, it really doesn't, but we'll say it works. <laughs> hey, it just adds to the nonsense and confusion. All right. I'm clapping. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, overall, this was a fun series. It was fun. I mean, like, I'm happy we read it because it was Stanley, probably one of the, not the last thing, but one of the later things that he wrote. He had had taken himself out of writing at this point. You know, he'd dabble in it, but he he didn't write many things around this time. Well, I, I think it puts to rest, at least in my mind, probably not for everyone else, though, does he have creative chops or not? I agree. Because there are a lot of people who would say, oh, well, Kirby was really the genius behind this, or Ditko behind this, or whatever. Certainly, Kirby, Ditko, all of the other founding fathers of Marvel, creative geniuses in their own rights. No argument about that whatsoever. But Stan Lee was a, a key player in a lot of that stuff. 
even if it was just as cheerleader or coordinator or whatever, but also as somebody actually putting some ideas on the plate and putting them out there and stuff. And I think what he did over these issues, and granted, some of these issues were better than others, some of these issues contradicted each other a little bit, but he did quite a bit of stuff here, quite a bit of fun stuff here. He did fun stuff, and, and, and I did the math. Okay, we're celebrating his 100th birthday, right? And these comics came out in 2001, so that was 21 years ago. Mm-hmm. So that would have put him at 79. Yeah. So he, he was right on the verge of turning 80 years old. For an 80-year-old, and I, I know a lot of 80-year-olds, to have, still have that creative capacity because it does diminish with time, the, the creative juices. It lets you know that he probably was something special when he was back in his 30s and 40s. Oh, no argument there at all. Absolutely. And so it impressed me, and it tells me, yeah, he, he was a creative guy. He was the ultimate huckster. He was the ultimate self-promoter. Salesman. Salesman. But he was also a creative guy, and this proved it because he was still doing this at darn near 80 years old. And hats off to him. He did a good job. If I am half as creative at 80 and able to put stuff like this together, I will be very happy. Exactly. So I'm, I'm happy we read it. it was, I, I would say this is a good choice. You picked it perfect timing. And it was a fun exercise for him, and it was fun for us to read it and go in. And, and even telling the jokes and stuff, I had fun with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we picked at it, but it was an enjoyable exercise for us. Well, it's funny because as I was editing the, the second of these three episodes, I was starting to wonder, is Stan Lee fully wrote all of the scripts or just kind of imagined the stories and the final stories were kind of maybe done by the artist, possibly a ghostwriter or something like that? Because... Parts of some of them felt very stylistically Stan, others less so. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, others were a little bit less so. It, it, some of them did feel a little bit different than the others. So I think Stan all along, he, he was a guy who could come up with ideas. Mm-hmm. And he could come up with like, here's what I want the plot to go. Here's what I wanted to do. And I don't think he was the guy sitting at his typewriter typing up and I want the camera angle here and this and this and this. I think he just came up with like a basic script and handed it off to the artist in yeah. the Marvel way. And the, and the Marvel artist drew it and probably changed some words and made it their own, you know? Well, because it sometimes felt like somebody else was maybe filling in some of the gaps in the story. Exactly. So, it, and that's exactly how he had always created books. And so it felt very Stanley because of how they did this. Well, and Stanley, I think one of the things that really made his career what it was is he would take himself you know seriously enough to to do a good job and stuff but not too seriously yeah i i would agree he he did take himself too seriously and he was down to earth enough where he was a generally nice guy and he Mm -hmm. he he would talk to you he just talked to anyone and he was a really nice gentleman you know very likable very likable because there's a lot of creators who aren't likable i hate to say that but there's some it's not natural and then there's others who are kind of out there and you, you just go and you say hi to them and they act like you're their best friend and they've known you all their life. Yeah. And I think Stan was more in that camp, which made him more, you know, adored by the by the fans. And it's not that, you know, like, let's say a Ditko or whatever was not, but Ditko was a hermit, you know? He stayed in his apartment. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to talk to anyone. Well, and Stan Lee was the polar opposite because he was the cheerleader and the champion for the comics medium for decades. Yep. He was the guy. <laughs> I mean, we would not have the MCU as it is without Stan, even if you take Stan's creative input to the, the foundational aspects of the Marvel Universe, if you just ignore that entirely. Even if all he was contributing was being the face of comic books, making it something accessible to the masses and appreciated by the masses and such, 
over those decades. You know, everything from doing the the voiceover intro from Spider-Man and his amazing friends to some stuff with the X-Men cartoons, the the cameos at, at Marvel uh, movies and stuff like that. His championing and stuff of, of the comics medium over those decades, I think went a long way towards it being what it is now. I would agree. Yeah. It went a long way to making it what it is now. I'm just, I'm happy that I got to read this because it's something that if you wouldn't have mentioned it, I never would have picked it up. I never would have thought to look for it in the DC app, you know, and I never would have. It, it, it's just something not top of mind with the backlog of things I have to read. And yet I feel like it was a little touch of history, you know, mm-hmm. a, a little taste of history, a little something that I can say, hey, I read something by Stan Lee that was a little more modern and it did it and let him prove himself. And it was kind of cool. Well, it's like being on a parallel world where what if Stan worked across the street? Yeah. And he, he, he may have done this. And honestly, Stan in his prime probably would have done amazing things at DC. Oh, yeah. And we, we'd be like, wow. <laughs> well, again, how many of these things had plot hooks written in for future issues? Oh, tons of them. They were all like open-ended. You get to the end. I mean, even the, at the end of the Justice League, which was the last issue of the run, you know, Justice League for all. That mm-hmm. seems like the opening for the next Justice League for all is- issue to come out. And every one of these other series should be having issues two, three, four by now. Yeah. Now, one other thought I had that I wanted to run by you while I was editing the second part. Yeah. Shazam. Okay. I think it's a riff on the greatest American hero. You know, I could see that. Smart guy, in red, with powers, working with a government agent and girlfriend. Very true. In this case, the government agent is the girlfriend. Yes. He's got magic powers versus an alien spacesuit, so maybe it's the best hidden riff of the bunch, but it really fits. It does fit. Ah, nice catch. That just hit me as I was editing that episode. (laughs) Nice catch. I wouldn't have thought of it, but now that you mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, that's totally a riff on that. Interesting. Now, I did check the the Multiversity Guidebook. Okay. This Earth is designated Earth 6 in there. Okay. 7 and 8 were rifts on the Marvel Universe. 7 got destroyed with only Thunderer, which is Thor, essentially, surviving. (laughs) And then Earth 9 is the Tangent Universe. And Tangent's another one where it's, let's take the names, but do different properties with them, but it's all DC-type stuff. That, I think, would be fun to do at some point. There were two runs of that, total of eight issues each, so maybe split those to, you know, four issues each, because they were regular-sized issues, but let's double-check that before committing to that. Yeah. And then the Unknown Worlds in the Multiversity Guidebook were 13, 24, 25, 27, 28, 46, and 49 for other purposes. I don't know if we're ever going to find that out. And I think as we record this, I think in my next box will be Dark Crisis number 7, I still haven't read the Big Bang issue of Dark Crisis to know if that plays in with any of this or not. Oh. I just thought I'd kind of toss all that out there. Just a little, I'm not going to spoil anything, but a spoiler for, for you. I already read Big Bang. I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it, but I ha- I'm opinionated on it. So I wrote down some notes because I definitely want to talk about that in our back issue spotlight. The monthly comic spotlight. Or the monthly comic spotlight. Yeah. Where, yeah. Because the Dark Crisis Big Bang, it was interesting. And you being a DC buff, I think you're going to, like some stuff in there. I hope so. It, and me, I like some stuff in there, but then I also see looming problems. J- just uh, Well, that's the kind of thing with so many things, and, and the Just Imagine is, is one of them. If you're coming in it completely cold, really never having read much of comics, it's all new, it's all exciting, or if you're coming at it with a deep knowledge of the DC background, you see the Easter eggs, you see how it's connecting, what they're changing, what they're not, 
if you're only coming at it from a Marvel background, you're seeing those references in the material. Yeah, definitely. So much of what you get out of a comic is based on what you walk in the door with. I agree. I was kind of surprised, like, when we, we saw that tweet by Mark Wade. He's like, oh, where does the mm-hmm. Jur- Jurassic League, you know, the Jurassic Justice League, what earth are they on? And, and me, in the back of my mind, I'm like, can't we just have a story? Why do we got to create a whole <laughs> – why do we got to have Earth 375,262? Well, there is a whole roundtable discussion we could have on that because on the one hand, I understand that. On the other hand, continuity is nothing more than the history of what's happened. That's true. Yeah, that is true. If that history does not matter, what's the point of reading the story? I, I see what you're saying. We, we definitely need to have a discussion on that because – I understand, and yet it seems like the Jurassic League, uh, or the what did, what was it called, the Jurassic Justice League? Jurassic League. Yeah, Jurassic League. I read it, and I'm like, it was so obscure and so, like, I, I, I hate to say it. I know people loved it, but it's kind of cheesy, really cheesy. And I'm just like, I, I don't think it's something that will be remembered, or should be remembered. <laughs> well, if they published it, they should put it on some earth, but I'm willing to bet in the pages of that title itself, it never got designated. So asking yeah. what number it is when it was never numbered is almost a fool's errand. Exactly. I'm like, why are we making this a difficult exercise? Why don't you just say that story happened and just leave it at that? Put it to bed. <laughs> or go with the approach Marvel did, where it's basically the Earth number is based on the year and the month it was published. Hey, that works. That makes life really easy. All right. So that wraps up Just Imagine by Stan Lee. Uh, it was fun stuff. I am looking forward to the Tales from Earth 6 when that comes out. And again... I think we ought to think about doing the tangent stuff. And if listeners have suggestions for other comics we should do for future back issue spotlights, let us know. Yeah. Coming up, we've got the original Avengers Forever from 1998. Split that into two parts. We'll do one through six in one episode, seven through 12 in another. And then we're going to do a three-parter on multiversity. And then after that, we've got some decisions to make. So you guys can put in your thoughts and let us know. Yeah, I have my Metro book stacking up, so who knows what's going to happen. <laughs> I definitely want to do Astro City at some point, figuring out the right way to either break it and do it or something like that. Yeah, you don't want to do all those all back-to-back. That'd be too much. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's one where I could probably spend a Saturday reading one of those issues and putting notes together because sometimes there's just so many references. Or It's such a realized world. It really is. There's just a lot going on in that title. But that's what I love about it. Flip side, maybe we do those and I make a vow of no notes and just whatever I can remember, but that doesn't always go well. <laughs> hey, whichever. We're good. I'm good with it. We'll figure it out. At some point, we'll do something with Astro City. Yeah. Anything else? No, nah, that does it for me. Cool. Recording clips for the preview Spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview Spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview Spotlight. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.